Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We got up earlier today with Hayden Locke. He takes up his new position as CEO of Marimaca Copper. They've raised just under 31 million bucks recently. We asked what they're going to do with that. Drill results came out today, um, indicating some quite positive numbers there. And again, how do they build on that? If you want to hear our thoughts on the conversation, uh, topics discussed, company, and even uh, Hayden himself, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Uh, we can also find detailed company reports and analysis. I've got commentaries from experts from around the world on a bunch of uh, companies and commodities, including the battery thematic. We've got training courses on that and we do summaries of all the interviews that we do just to save you some time because we know you're busy people. And most excitingly of all, we've got a wonderful thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment. So why don't you go and join them uh, at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can be free of all of that judgment, trolling and abuse you see elsewhere. Bit of a waiting list, but it's worth the wait. Hayden, how are you, sir? Well, thank you. Good to see you again. You're looking well and healthy. Got a bit of suntan there. Have you been outdoors? I do. The Indian summer that came and went in the UK has burnt me a little bit, and I'm looking forward to getting a deep tan over the summer. What, what was that? Are you going to are you going on site or are you planning a holiday escape? No, no, south of England. You know, the sunny part of south of England. <sighs> it's depressing, isn't it? I hope you. I hope you do get it. Uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm uh, trying to get on a boat in Croatia. I, I suspect I will fail miserably. Probably, probably. Probably a good thing too. Um, hey, well, like, why don't we um, kick off with a one-minute summary of um, the business? Because we saw a press release today. I do want to talk about it and uh, understand what the plans are. Yeah, sure. We're developing the Maramaca Oxide project in northern Chile, the Antofagasta region of Chile. You know, it's a it's a very unique project in the copper development space. Uh, open pitable oxide resource, low capital cost, close proximity to all of that infrastructure required to build the project. Therefore, low execution risk, uh, low financing risk, and the PEA, which we put out last year, showed that it's on an economic basis is a really uh, outstanding project and stands out from the peer group. Yeah, I mean, the market's really moved in your favour. I mean, the copper price has really done a lot of heavy lifting for you. Um, what I'm intrigued by is the uh, drill program that uh, you put out or announced this morning um, and, and getting, getting stuck into that. But at the same time, um, congrats on the share price. 316 when we spoke last in end of January, up to five bucks now. Um, you think the market is behind you? Yeah, I think we're getting there. I think people are slowly starting to understand what we have. It's been a pretty slow process uh, to really talk about why we think this project is a standout and why people should, should put their hard-earned dollars behind us as, as a management team. Uh, we're slowly getting there. There's certainly more and more people interested in the story. It's always nice when you start to get reverse inquiry as a management team, and that's starting to happen uh, in no short uh, part due to the copper price and, and the general buzz around copper. Uh, but also, I think, uh, in terms of our management team's execution over the last 18 months, which has really shown that we, we know where we're going, we know what we're doing, and, and we know what the next steps are. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I mean, four, what was it, 438 um yeah, I think it's four hundred thirty-eight million Canadian dollar market cap. It's, it's, it's not too shabby, and you've what, only got a PEA. Good effort. Yeah, well, I think it reflects the potential of the project. Look, I think I often talk about our PEA relative to other PEAs that are put out, and there's a there's a huge variance as to what underpins a PEA. 
Um, you know, it could be you and I down at the pub with the, with the back of a fag packet, writing a few numbers down. Uh, you know, the reason that ours was called a PEA because we included in third resource in the mine life, meaning that we couldn't call it anything but a PEA. But in terms of the technical work that we've done for this project and how de-risked it is, uh, we are miles ahead of a normal PEA. So much more akin to a pre-feasibility study. We have quoted numbers uh, from all of the equipment providers. Uh, we've done four phases of metallurgical testing. We're about to complete our fifth phase. That's very unusual for a PEA stage project. Uh, so really, you know, I feel pretty comfortable with the numbers that we have uh, behind that PEA. But I think there's also at least some recognition that we may be onto a much bigger story here, uh, which is why these exploration results are becoming so important to us as a company. Well, that, that's what I'm hoping to see because there's a lot of questions about that, you know, about whether that's a kind of fair evaluation, a lot of questions about how the institutions are reading your story um, as well. So why don't we talk about some of the things that you've done since January when we last spoke, it was the end of January when we last spoke, to drive this value, is make sure it's not entirely just down to the market. You've done. You've had. Yeah. You've had a, a, a hand to play in it, I suspect. So why don't we kick off um, the the result, uh, the uh, press release put out this morning? So what does it tell us? Yeah. So we the, these are the deep drill holes that we're drilling, looking for extensions below the Maramaka oxide project. Uh, and you know the first drill hole that we put out, and actually I'll just share a screen so that you can see the diagram that I'm looking at. Yeah. Sure. So this, this is the drill results that we announced today. Uh, we announced the first drill results for this, uh, for this campaign on the 7th of April. And we hit a very interesting uh, sulphide intercept, about 116 metres at a bit over 0.5%, uh, you know, extending some of the previously known sulphide mineralisation. So it was a fairly interesting drill hole. We then stepped out really significantly further to the south, again, looking for extensions of that sulphide drilling looking for extensions uh, to see if there's something meaningful sitting below the pit. And what we got was an incredibly interesting result, uh, actually not sulphides. Uh, we drilled through a sort of narrow sulphide lens and then went back into a mixed oxide mineralisation. And now what that means is we think that the mineralisation that we've hit there is going to be leachable, i.e. it will be processable through the heat leach SXCW process we envisaged for the PEA. Uh, and these are the results that we're talking about here. Some, some broad zones at depth, 106 metres at 0.4%. So that's ore grade copper if you, if you assume the grades from the Maramaka oxide deposit. Uh, but really quite significant down dip extension here uh, from these historical results that also intersected uh, oxide, mixed oxide uh, mineralisation, that is oxide and secondary sulphides that are leachable. So... It's a pretty interesting result, lots of follow-up work to do, but we're excited about it and we certainly see uh, some potential there to you know, increase, the, increase the scale of the leachable resource here with ongoing work, uh, but also potentially increase the scale of the project, which is probably the biggest weakness of our project as we sit today. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what I was thinking. I mean, I mean first of all, you know, nice grades, uh, re very reasonable uh, widths as well. Um, you must be pleased with that, with the numbers, um, but how does this change your your thinking? Because it's how are you interpreting this in terms of how you move the project forward? Because obviously the open pitable, the oxide component is the early go to cash generator for you before you tackle the sulfide component. Um, does this change things much? Well, it potentially does because you know what what these results these are not sulfide results. I.e., they don't need to be floated and concentrated 
and then smelted, we believe that they could be leachable. Uh, and so, you know, it really does give us, give us quite a favourable dilemma in that do we spend the time to drill this out and try and understand how that hangs together and what the leaching characteristics are like and whether or not it could form part of a mine plan and therefore increase the scale of the project? Or do we continue to do what we're doing right now, which is go hell for leather moving the Maramaka oxide project uh, towards through feasibility study and towards construction and eventual production um, and then bring this into a, into a mine plan at a later date. Uh, so at the moment, we're doing an option study, detailed option trade-off study to go through where we're going to site all of the key infrastructure for this project. Uh, but one of the considerations that we've told our engineers to have in the back of their mind is that there will be the potential that we want to upscale and we want to increase the, the scale of this project and therefore, we need to be planning for that potential increase in scale now in terms of our access to infrastructure, our access to areas to put our heat leach pads, the SXCW, can we make it modular so that it can expand at a later date? Uh, and then we'll, we'll almost certainly come back and, and start re-drilling this uh, immediately to see if we can find further extensions of this this mineralization, which could be very important. Can, can, you, can you explain that? Because I'm, I'm always fascinated by this. But first of all, you know, congratulations for being brave enough to actually do reasonable and decent step outs. Because we've seen a lot of stories recently there, sort of moving out five meters, ten meters from the last high grade drill hole because it looks good in a headline, but it doesn't do much in terms of increasing the size of the resource. Um, so I think that's that's encouraging here. But what what is this trade off um, really? Because you kind of it's I want to get into cash flow quicker because that's a good thing, but. I've got to make sure that we've got the right equipment, uh, you know, whether that can be modular, modular, modular or not, um, modularized. I don't know if that's a word uh, or not. You know, see, th those are those are the things that you're, you're toying between um, delaying this by, let's say, twelve months, and making sure the equipment that you acquire is efficient or most efficient or getting into production now because that's good for the market. It allows you to raise cheaper money because it's, it's sooner to production and cash flows. Is I mean, are the, what are the moving parts that you guys talk about? Well, the, the obvious one is uh, increasing the overall scale of the project and therefore bringing forward uh, the cash flows for this project, which improves the overall return on investor capital for our investors. At the end of the day, we're trying to trade off return on investor capital with the optimum size project from an execution standpoint, i.e. construction and, and then commissioning risk, but also financing risk, make it too big, you then run the risk of not being able to finance it. Um, so it is a relatively complicated trade-off uh, as to how we approach this. But I think all else being equal, if you, were, if you were very confident that this resource was going to be leachable and then form part of the mine plan, you would almost certainly upscale this project uh, and take it over 50,000 tonnes a year of cathode, maybe even 60,000 uh, depending on how much resource you have, uh, because that is a size of project that makes this really meaningful uh, in the global copper concept context. It really takes us a step change up into the next tier of project. Right. And then what, what does this do for the sulphide component in terms of, of timing potentially? Because, it, you know, that's a little bit more expensive and a little bit further down the line, but does that go even further down the line? Well, these results indicate that uh, we probably are not going to have a sulphide uh, component to this project. Um, so we drilled a couple of much deeper drill holes and hit some narrow zones of sulphide mineralization. We do have a sort of a, a layer of 
of what we think is enriched primary sulfide material. Um, but in terms of its extensions at this point in time, it, it probably doesn't look like it's going to be big enough to be a, a sulfide project. And so therefore there's no need to go down the concentrator route. These results really are starting to say, okay, well, we can expand the mine life for the leachable portion of this uh, deposit. Um, yes, the recoveries in the mixed zone tend to be lower because you have some secondary sulfides in there and some primary sulfides in there, but it's still leachable, which means really it's probably almost the best result that we could have had from these drill results is an expansion to the leachable component of this resource because the thing that is most unique about Maramaca is its low capital cost, which is in no small part driven by the fact that it is a heat leach SXEW project. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a nice problem to have. Uh, if we drilled a huge sulphide intercept, it probably wouldn't have changed our development strategy. As it currently stands, we need to do a lot of thinking about how we incorporate these drill results into our future plans. Okay. And, you know, you talked a lot about any press releases about various anomalies. Um, I'm pleased to see today some actual drill results. I mean, and you also raised 30 million, 30.9 million bucks recently. What are you going to do with that and actually trying to get some stories out there which are a bit more than anomalies? Yeah, so we had a bit of a break, a hiatus as a result of coronavirus kicking off again in Chile, but that's now over. The drill rigs are now turning again on the Cindy target. Uh, you will have hopefully seen an announcement on the new target out to the northeast, which is the Robles target, which we're very excited about. It's, uh, it's a huge geochem anomaly. Uh, so we have now three surficial oxide targets that we'd like to drill and the intention, and actually we're on track to still deliver this, that we'll have them all tested before the end of June. Uh, this year. Uh, obviously, now with these results of the Maramaca deep uh, oxides or the oxide extension, we'll call it, uh, we are looking at a second rig to come back and start drilling that in parallel so that we can really follow up on those results. Um, so look, it's a gradual process and we're slowly ticking off those milestones. In the background, what we're not talking about is the fact that the project is still being pushed ahead uh, as quickly as it's ever been. Um, so we've got that option study ongoing. The phase five metallurgical test work is almost done. We've got engineering studies on geohydrology and hydrology uh, and ge geotechnical work being done. Um, obviously, the site location needs to be nailed down and then we'll get into condemnation drilling. So we are still moving the project forward um, as quickly as we can. Um, and a big part of that is environmental permitting. Uh, but you know, for the, for the focus for the market in the next three to four months is really going to be on this drilling. Do you think your share price is being manipulated? Uh, by who? Today, that seems to be a lot of chatter around it. People aren't people are a bit curious about what's going on there. Yeah, I, I hear it regularly. I'm I'm no conspiracy theorist, uh, and so you know, I people often say to me, "Oh, well, you know, Greenstone's manipulating the share price." Uh, you know, this is an FCA regulated firm. Uh, very, very challenging for them to breathe incorrectly in the context of the UK market without having to report on something, uh, I find it a, a pretty long bow to suggest that they would be manipulating the share price. Um, I think people often refer to the fact that we have small blocks of trades going through. Really, I think that's down to the fact that we have market makers who are algorithmic-driven market makers who need to make a market as a re regulatory, um, you know, part of their regulatory duty. Uh, and as a result, they sometimes make markets in small ways. I think our biggest issue is that we just have very low liquidity because our shares are so tightly held. We have amazingly supportive and sticky shareholders and they're just not willing to sell. And so 
a small trade either way can make our share price go up and down pretty pretty aggressively. Are you going to do anything about that? We're attempting to. So, uh, you know, I think part of that is really getting out and telling the story and talking to more people. Uh, I think, you know, as the share price goes up, obviously some shares will start to loosen up a little and we've seen a significant improvement in our liquidity, uh, you know, since I've been involved with the company. We've been improved, uh, you know, and we're now trading sort of $250,000, $300,000 a day, not much compared to our market cap, but a significant improvement compared to where we were. Uh, but I think where we really will step that up is in the next big capital raise, which is looking likely there'll be something to do with the construction uh, when we go into that sometime next year. Uh, and then we can put more stock in the hands of new investors. Investors are going to trade that and, and increase our liquidity that way. So who took up the 30.9 million bucks? Was that mostly, mostly so institution a, again or was it people? So it was a... Basically, the vast majority of it was a private investor, financial investor here in the in the UK. Uh, you know, so he's a he's a big macro-driven thematic uh, investor. Loves copper, loves the changing economy, sees the future of it, uh, but also was really receptive to the uniqueness of the Maramaka project. He liked the fact that Maramaka is something that could be financed as a standalone project. We don't need a big brother. We don't need a BHP. We don't need a Rio to get this into production. We can do it ourselves. Uh, and that was very appealing to him. And so, you know, he was he was willing to, to come in in a, a fairly sizable uh, check. Uh, and then there are a few additional groups that came in alongside him. But you didn't take the chance to get more retail on board. You did it. Non-broker. Was that not an opportunity, you think, to kind of help with the liquidity? Yeah, I think it, I think it is, although I think... At that point in time, in terms of our budget and what we needed to achieve over the next 12 months, we needed $25 million um, or thereabouts. Uh, and, you know, the investor that came in, his, his typical check size is significantly bigger than $25 million. So actually, he, he lowered his threshold in order to be part of this story. Um, you know, we potentially could have, uh, could have upscaled it and gone out to retail, but it's quite challenging to do without a broker. And, uh, you know, the brokers uh, often prefer to put it in the hands of institutional investors. So it's something that we're working on. I think there'll be a, a big retail component next time we go out to this. Okay. And um, you're finding this all a lot easier to do now that you're CEO? Uh, look, it hasn't changed from where we were uh, prior. Um, Luis is still involved in the company. He and I still uh, effectively form a senior management team working together. You know, there's no real change in how we're operating. Uh, so I think it's more of a cosmetic change than, than, a, than a, a detailed operational change. So think, the thinking hasn't changed. With you at the helm, thinking really hasn't changed. You're still market-facing, performing that function rather than strategic and taking the company forward. It's, it's more collaborative, is it? Well, Luis is very much focused on the delivery of the technical aspects of the project and the in-country management. Uh, my my focus has always been on market facing, but also the strategic direction of the company and and you know how are we going to create best create value over the next twelve to eighteen months. Uh, so you know how does the exploration feed into where we spend money on the project and where will we spend money? Do we need more budget to follow up on these sulphide drill results or these deep drill results at Maramaka, for example? The answer is yes, and so you know that's part of that's part of the thought process that Luis and I go through together, along with Sergio uh, and the board. 
Okay, so you, you feel you've got everything in place to get through to an investment decision, at which point, at well, some point between now and then, you're going to need to go and raise the capital to, to be able to put uh, that in place. Um, so no, no bumps along the road forecast from you? If, if, well, 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 in fact, here's one for you. If, if there, for whatever reason, I can't imagine there will be, but if the copper price does kind of reset a bit, does that cause you any problems at all, or, is it, or will it just be business as usual? Um, well, it obviously takes takes a little bit of the momentum out of it, uh, out of out of the market, and you know potentially we end up lower, raising money at a lower price. Uh, you know, as as with all things, investor sentiment is driven by, uh, and no small part by the direction that the co- the commodity that they're investing in is moving. Uh, saw it with gold last year. You know, it was hot, and then it reversed relatively quickly. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't think it's going to impact us in terms of our ability to take this project to a final investment decision and get it financed and get it into production just because of the economics. The economics are outstanding. So we're talking, you know, sub $1.50 a pound all in sustaining cash costs, meaning we make a lot of money even if the price is at $2.50 or $2.70. So the conversations we've been having with financiers are this project is, is easily financeable. Um, obviously, it'd be nice to have the commodity price staying strong while we're doing that, but, you know, I don't think it impacts our, our thought process and our decision-making. Uh, you know, bumps along the road. I've got no doubt there will be. There's always going to be. There are always things that occur that are outside of your control in mining, uh, and you know you have to you have to dance a little bit when these things. Um, but I think one of the things we will be trying to do over the next 12 months is build out our operating team. Um, so there are going to be some key highs that we need to make, just in terms of building out the processes to manage the eventual transition into that construction phase. Uh, which we often see junior companies not manage particularly well. Do you think that dollar fifty number is ambitious? It needs to be. It needs to, if it's you know anything below two is good, but you think you can hit that? Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's achievable. You know, all of the work that we did was based on detailed mine planning. Actually, I think there's there's ability for us to lower it. It's actually below a dollar fifty uh, all in sustaining costs per pound. I think there's opportunity to lower that cost uh, more than it to go the other direction. Now, obviously, there'll be ebbs and flows. Grade profiles differ over time, but I think over the life of this mine, uh, it will be a very competitive project. Just because it is such such a low strip ratio, it's very solid grade. The leaching profile is very favourable, and we have all those advantages of being very close to Antofagasta, very close to Mejiones, cheaper acid, cheaper power, cheaper water. You know, all of those things add up to a project which we think is going to be very competitive. Okay, and so you, and another one of your challenges is increase the size of that resource. Given given the, the ASIC on that, right? That's that's the primary thing that we're focused on for the next six months. Is you know we know we've got a great project, and the one key feedback that we get from the market is it's just a bit small. Okay, so now we're out still pushing the project ahead, but we're we're looking to address that. It's just a bit small weakness of this project. So what does it need to get to? Do you think? I think the accept, generally accepted rule of thumb is anything north of 50,000 tonnes a year of cathode or copper in cathode is, is deemed to be good. Uh, if you get to 60 or 70,000 tonnes, that is a meaningful project. Uh, you know, in an ideal world, we'd like to double it. If we could get to 80,000 tonnes of copper cathode, that would be an amazing place to be. That would be a globally significant new copper project uh, and one that would really put us on the map. And so the exploration is driven towards us increasing the scale of our copper cathode production, uh, although we'd like to find something that could potentially be a sulphide project. You know, right now, unashamedly, we're all focused on oxides. 
Okay, so again, just remind me, just before I go, because I'm hearing a lot of good things, but before I go, with, with regards to the drilling and um, increase, you know, focus, the focus on increasing the size of the resource to make it, you know, global, competitive, world-class, whatever you want, however you want to phrase it, you've got a lot of money. How do, how do you actually apportion that? What type of drilling are we doing? Well, it's, it's a gated process. So, you, you know, you could rush out and just start drilling. We've got plenty of area that we could go out and just throw drill holes into. But our experience and Sergio, an incredibly experienced geologist, is you waste money if you go out and do that. So the first phase, we're spending about $5 million US million testing the deep, deeper extensions of the Maramaca Oxide Project, Mercedes, Cindy, and the Roble target. Once we've assessed, okay, is there something worth following up there? Uh, then we'll redo our budgets. But you know, if you find something of significant scale, I think you can pretty confidently say you're going to need to spend five to ten million dollars drilling that out to get it into a resource that could be brought into a mine plant. Uh, so we have enough money to pivot and focus our strategy on more exploration drilling if we need to. Uh, but as of right now, we've got five million earmarked for exploration. And the remainder is earmarked for land and option payments to secure the Maramaka project and then the technical work to take Maramaka through to a feasibility study and in parallel with that permitted so that we're ready to commence construction at some point in 2022. Okay. Okay, Hayden. Well, let's stay in touch. Let's know how you get on. Uh, exciting times. It's a good market and you've got the cash to do something about it. So um, we'll hear from you soon, okay? Perfect. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.